Good morning, everyone. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. There's no better place than the gathering of the children of God. Oh, I only got a little amen there. That's shame. Amen. Praise God. I want to share with you this morning the true gospel. But I also want you to know that I do believe that there are many, many wonderful churches preaching the truth. There are many pastors and many preachers who are preaching the truth. And we thank God for them. We thank God for the preachers that's raising up in Waters Church. Those that preach the truth, Pastor Tim, who preaches the truth. And thank God for the wonderful gift that is given to him. And so we thank God for all those churches and we pray for them. Yet we must also understand that we are living in a time of the false gospel. In fact, many people don't really understand what spiritual warfare is about. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. From the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, the battle has been over truth. Who has the truth? God or Satan? And so the battle is about truth. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, what will be the signs of your return? And, and preachers preach a lot on that, on the signs of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the very first thing he tells them, he says, see that no man deceive you. He wasn't talking to a group of people that did not understand the kingdom. He was talking to those that he himself had trained and equipped for the ministry. And it's to those, he says, see that no man deceive you. The problem today in our society is we've weakened the gospel. And there are very many charismatic, nice people who are not preaching the whole counsel of God. And I believe that there's ever been a time that we should preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, it is today. We're living in a world that hell is breaking loose. The devil knows that his time is limited. And he's doing everything in his powers with a group of demons to destroy everything that God has laid out. And so there is a true gospel. But in the midst of it, there's also a false gospel. And many times people get swept off their feet for the false gospel because they don't line it up with the Word of God. God's Word is our rule. No preacher, no pastor, no evangelist has the right and the authority to change the Word of God. We are not allowed to add. We're not allowed to take away. We've got to preach it as we have received it. And so I want to speak about the true gospel for just a few moments. Saul of Tarsus was a religious man. He was a good man in the eyes of the people. But he persecuted those that have committed their lives to Christ. In those days, the church was called the people of the way. The people of the way. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And they were his followers. And, and so Paul persecuted them. He hounded them into prison. He, he saw people put to death just because they were followers of Christ. In fact, Saul himself stood by when, when Stephen was stoned to death. And so he was a ruthless man. Although he was religious, he did not know God. He had no relationship with God. And, and, and he was going about doing this terrible harm to the men and women who had committed their lives to Christ. But one day on the road to Damascus, the Bible says a bright light shone around him and he was knocked off his feet. And a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Now, now Saul never persecuted the physical body of Jesus, but he persecuted the spiritual body of Jesus who is the followers of Christ. But he's knocked off his feet and something dramatic happens to this man. His whole life is changed in a moment of time. His mind is renewed and he's transformed and he becomes Paul the Apostle. Mightily used by God. A man of the Bible says mighty miracles were wrought by the hands of Paul the Apostle. He was a great teacher, established churches. And we thank God for the anointing that rested upon that man. That today we celebrate all the wonderful things because of committed and dedicated people like Paul. But Paul had a hard life. He was despised, he was cast into prison, he was beaten, he was slandered, and at the end of his ministry, he says to the Lord, everybody has deserted me, but the Lord stood by me. God has never promised us that to be a Christian or a follower of Christ is going to be a bed of roses. There are many people today, they think the moment you surrender to Christ, everything becomes hunky-dory, everything becomes wonderful. No more problems, no more issues. No, life becomes more difficult. The Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Through much tribulation you must enter into the kingdom of God. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. And that's why we need to raise up a strong church. A church that believes in the truth of God's word and is not swelled to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but are rooted and grounded and established in God's eternal word. And so Paul was tremendously anointed and God chose him to write most of the books in the New Testament. And then in the book of Galatians, he says this to the Galatian believers. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed to another gospel than the one that I have preached. Which is not really another gospel, but there are men who pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on and he says to them, if I or an angel from heaven comes down or anyone else preaches another gospel, let them be cursed. That's what he says. Any other gospel will bring a curse on people. All that the Galatians wanted to do, they wanted to add some of their traditions to the gospel. They wanted to say you, you can be saved, but you must also go through the circumcision of the flesh. 
And God calls that a perverted gospel. That's not the true gospel. And so here, right in the book of Galatians, Paul says that anyone that preaches another gospel will be cursed. What is the gospel? I want to read it from the scriptures because I think there are many people that don't even know what the gospel is. And here, the scriptures lay it out for us so that we can clearly understand the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 8, there is a passage of Scripture where he says, Moreover, my brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. You are saved by this gospel, and you've got to stand in this gospel. If you hold fast the word that which I preach to you, Unless you believe in vain. If you don't hold fast, then you've believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. After that He was seen by five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present day. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me and also by one born of due time. That's the gospel. There it is. There's nothing to be added to it. There's nothing to be taken away from it. He's giving us the truth that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came into this world to die for our sins. We try to avoid the word sins because we think people will get offended. In fact, there are some people who are preaching another gospel and say Jesus died for your self-esteem. But the Bible says it is sin. And what you have to understand, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single man, every single woman. We are born in sin. From my mother's womb was I conceived in sin. Not only are we born in sin, we are sinners by choice and we are sinners by conduct. And Jesus Christ, God's Son, has the remedy for that condition. He's come to seek and to save those that are lost. Now, there are many gospels today, many different gospels, and they're very subtle. Because it's the work of the enemy, and the enemy is very subtle. He is very clever. He knows how to, to dress it, and he knows how to make it uh, nice and entice men and women to something that is false. And so that's why it's important that we understand that. There is the social gospel. There today is the, the, the gospel of love. Now, let me correct that. First of all, we do believe that the true gospel that I've just read you is a gospel of love because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth Him should not perish but have everlasting life. No greater love of a man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. So the gospel that we preach is a true gospel and it is a gospel of love. But there's a gospel of love today that brushes aside the condition of man. Don't want to talk about sin. Don't want to talk about hell. There's no such place as hell. God is a good God. God is a loving God. And there are many, many people that have been sucked up into this false gospel. 
The Bible is very clear. It says, behold the love of God and behold the severity of God. God is a God of justice. And if He's a God of justice, there must be judgment. And so that's a false gospel. There is a prosperity gospel. Now, there's nothing wrong with people prospering. God wants us to prosper in every area of our lives. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Absolutely nothing. But there's another gospel. It's a gospel of prosperity that it seems to be all that God wants to do is to make you wealthy. Wealthy, to have a lot of money, more than you ever would need. I was watching a, a prosperity preacher just the other day, and that's what set me off a little bit. He told his congregation, and it's a big congregation, and he was telling them that the first house he bought, he paid 10000 something. And then the next house he bought, it cost him $89,500. He's talking about uh, way back. And then he, he, then he says to his congregation, this watch that you see on my hand costs more than my, sec my second house. So he's bragging about the fact that the watch he wears costs more than the house that he bought. And then he says about uh, his chandeliers in his house. His house is uh, 30,000 square feet. Unbelievable. He's an old guy. And he's got this massive, massive mansion in which he lives. And then he says that I've got uh, uh, 20 chandeliers in my house and one chandelier cost $17,000. And the people are cheering and they're clapping and they're they, they saying this is wonderful. And that's what happens. People think it's wonderful because what is this man preaching to? He's not preaching to the soul and the heart of man. He's preaching to the flesh. He's preaching to carnality. And it is carnality that responds to that kind of thing. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. And so there's a false gospel. Not because you come and give your life to Christ that you are suddenly now going to be wealthy, that you can claim whatever you want to. That's not true. It's, it's not a true gospel. I was watching uh, just this week also in, I don't know who the gentleman is, I don't know whether he's the president of the environment people or what, but this is what he did. He had the Ten Commandments written out on two slabs like Moses. And then he looked over, I think it was Jerusalem, and he threw them down and smashed them and said, we're done with that. And then he presented the, te the Ten Principles of the Environment. You see what's going, it's another gospel. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be good stewards about all these things. But we need to be careful because it's a false gospel. There's the consumer gospel. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He'll meet all your needs. We know that Jesus will meet our needs, but we don't come to get our needs met. He's not a need meter. He's the Savior of the world. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one else like Him. And so there are many, many more of these false gospels being propagated today. The emphasis and the focus and the heart of what's being preached and taught is not the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you watched a football game, a soccer game? I like soccer, so I watch it. I like, I like football as well. I like boxing. I like a lot of stuff. But soccer is my favorite. And, and sometimes you watch these great teams play against one another. And suddenly the person's got the ball and he's going down towards the goal and he scores in the box. 
And that great stadium of fans stand up and they shout. They bang their drums, their holy flow, blow their trumpets, high-five one another. It's just great joy that comes in the stadium. The football players try to slide on the ground and pile up on top of one another, high-five one another. We've scored a goal, but then suddenly, there's a whistle. And everything stops dead. And the ref points to the linesman. He's standing with the flag out, offsides. No goal. No goal. And you can hear the air coming out of the balloon. But I want to tell you something today. The Holy Spirit is blowing the whistle. He's blowing the whistle on all the false things that have crept in. Paul says, I fear for you that your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Too many things that have crawled in of the flesh, these, these false gospels that have been propagated and been preached, and they're not preached by small guys, but big guys who have big churches and have big names. We have to hear what the Spirit is saying. He's blowing the whistle, it's all sides. It's no goal. Let me just give you a few facts about the true gospel that I've just read. First of all, it is God inspired. It does not come from man. Paul says, I did not receive this from man. I wasn't taught this gospel, but Jesus gave it to me. You see, it's a God inspired gospel. The second thing I want you to notice about the gospel is that it is powerful. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That word powerful means dunamis, from which we get a word dynamite. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's dynamite. He blows to smithers the power of sin and sets the captive free. God's gospel is powerful. And I want to tell you, because it's powerful, we need to get back to the place where there's total reliance on the Word of God that we understand we don't have to add frills. We don't have to add gimmicks. We don't have to add other things to make the gospel nice and to make the gospel effective. It is powerful in itself. Powerful gospel. The true gospel is a universal gospel. I never see prosperity preachers go uh, to countries that are deep in poverty. I don't see them go to poor areas. Why not? Because it won't work there. It's a selective gospel. It only works where people are rich and are able to pull out the money and give us thousands and millions of dollars. But it doesn't work in a poor place. But I want to tell you the gospel that I've read to you today in Corinthians works everywhere. It is universal. It works where the richest rich live, and it works where the poorest poor live. There is not a man or a woman that cannot experience the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It reaches every single man, woman, and it is, is for every single person. The gospel is able to change and transform the worst of sinners. It's a universal message. And then also I want you to know it's everlasting. 
It's not that we now a new generation and things must change and the gospel never changes. In fact, people, some people have an attitude about old things. But Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You better be careful what you say about all things. Amen? Everlasting gospel never changes. And, and in the book of Revelation, the consummation of all things, speaking about the end time and the return of Christ, Paul, say, Paul says this. He has a revelation and he says, I saw an angel flying through the heavens, preaching the everlasting gospel. That's the last book in the Bible. There's coming a day that an angel is going to fly through the heavens and preach the same gospel that you and I hear today. It's an everlasting gospel. Jesus is building his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And anyone who builds apart from him and his truth is building on sand. It might look good. It might look great. People are cheering and clapping and having a good time. But it's building on sand. And that which is on sand will not stand when the storms of life come. We have to build on a solid foundation. And Jesus Christ is that foundation. We are co-laborers together with him. His word is truth. And so I just want to touch on four quick points to show you how powerful the gospel is and, and uh, what it means. But the first thing I want you to notice is you must repent. There are people now that, are, that, that preach, you don't have to repent, you only repent once. I, I, had, I had a group of people leave the church years ago because they argued with me and, and say, you only repent once, you can't call people to continuous repentance. And yet when you go to the book of Revelation, it's the end time when he speaks to all the churches, to some of them he says, repent. You and I never stop repenting. Why? Because we keep on failing. So all the prophets in the Old Testament used to call the people to repent from this. Turn from your wicked ways. You have violated the word of God. You are worshiping idols. Turn from those ways to the living God. And then John the Baptist came and he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was the forerunner for Jesus. And then Jesus come, he begins his ministry. He says, repent or perish. He concludes his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter who was a coward now receives boldness and he begins to preach to those people who crucified the Lord of glory. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't weaken the gospel. He looks him in the face and it says, you with your wicked hands, you have crucified the Lord of glory. It is you that have taken the Son of God and have nailed him to the cross. But he's come for sinners. And then he preaches and he says, repent, every one of you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins, be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people respond and they are born again of the Spirit of God. There's no frills about it. It was just the truth and it was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know what the Bible says about repentance? Let me read it to you. It says, Acts 70, 30, and in the times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now, commandeth men everywhere to repent. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. 
When the Holy Spirit comes and He convicts me of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that's what He does. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. People aren't convicted by our sad stories. People aren't convinced by our, our jokes. They are convinced and convicted by the Spirit of God. Because the Bible says it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so He comes and convicts us. And then we say, we respond to God and we, we, we have to stand up and say, some of the things I've been doing, I must no longer do. I must turn around and go in the opposite direction. We are not calling people to repentance. And then we expect God to pour out His blessing upon us. There's some of us that have been giving our lives to Christ and we've been on the road for years, but there's been no change in our lives. Why? Because we haven't repented. We have to repent. Sorry, Lord, that I did that. And it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. It's not remorse. So the very first thing about this gospel, is a gospel that calls us to a place of repentance. Secondly, we need to call upon the name of the Lord. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means speaking to Jesus and acknowledging the fact that we are sinners. The hardest words for any person to say is, I have sinned. But we speak to him and call on his name. He said, Lord, I've failed you. I've, I've not changed my ways. I'm, not, I'm a sinner and I'm lost and undone. I heard a, a prosperity preacher and he said that um, you can't tell people to turn from their sin because they don't know what sin is in their unbelieving state. And then I went to the scriptures and I see Jesus says there was uh, two men that went to the temple. He says the one was a Pharisee, a religious man. He stands in the temple and he beats himself on his chest and he says, I thank God that I'm not like other men, like that tax collector there. He says, I fast, I pray, and I tithe. And the other man is a tax collector standing way back in the temple with his head bowed and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went away justified. That man went away justified. Just acknowledge that you failed him. Just acknowledge that you're a sinner because the Bible says so. That there is a solution and he is that solution. Amen? Then also we've got to surrender our lives. It's not like Jesus come in and we just keep on living like we've always lived. Surrender means I lay everything down. That's, that's, what, that's why we raise our hands. Why do you think we raise our hands? Hands raised is a sign of surrender. Even when we worship, it's not just a gimmick that a certain group of people do, but it's, Lord, I surrender to your glory. I surrender to who you are. You alone are worthy. Lord, we surrender. And we not only surrender as our Savior, we thank you for saving us from our sin, but we also surrender to you to become Lord of our lives. Jesus, come into my life and rule every area of my life because I cannot do it myself. I fail over and over and over again. I came from the very depths of sin. People said about me, they said, there's no hope for that man. He's a dangerous person. But I tell you something, when I received the gospel of Jesus Christ, he transformed me and made me a new creature. Hallelujah. <laughs> Surrender your life to Jesus. Lord, it's not what will Jesus do in this situation. It's not what Jesus thinks. It's Jesus, you are in charge. 
you're in control. And lastly, we need to witness. We need to witness of the fact that we have surrendered to Christ and in the rules and reigns in our lives. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We've got to confess him, folk. Can I say something today? And I, I trust I'm not going to offend you. But when you look at the New Testament in the early church, the multitudes of people that came to Christ did not come through a charismatic, dynamic preacher. They did not come through a pastor or a reverend or a bishop or a pope or anyone like that. If you read the New Testament, the book of Acts, it says the people were scattered and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. You see, it's not good enough for us to come to church and enjoy the word and enjoy the worship and the rest of the week we are not witnesses. We must let our light shine. We must be the salt of the earth. We cannot afford to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's God's power. I must be honest, I was brave in many things and I had a big mouth with many things. But when I became a, a, a Christian, uh, for a little while I was a little shy to say that I've been saved, especially to my kind of friends. They would think I'm a sissy and I'm a wimp. But one day I realized it's an, I have to because I'm going to be strengthened in the faith the more I confess. And then I started uh, telling everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the most amazing thing I, I found out, sometimes you're scared to tell someone about Jesus. They may be offended. They might be rude to you, so you, you're afraid. But most times, most times, they are waiting deep down in their hearts for someone to come and say there's a better life. There's life and that more abundantly. And it's in Christ. It's in Christ, in Jesus Oh, Frank, we have to be honest. We have to be truthful. It's sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Nothing else but sin. But there's a remedy. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, God's Son. Doesn't matter where you are this morning and what you've done, it's got nothing to do with anybody only got to do with him who came to redeem you and save you. And if you're honest today and you say to yourself, yes, I'm not in the right place. I'm not right with God. It may be the Holy Spirit has convicted you in this meeting to make that decision. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. I was so glad that I made that decision so many years ago. Life has not been easy. Lots of valleys, lots of storms, and a lot of giants. But I can tell you today that through every storm, through every valley, against every giant, the Lord has been with me. He'll bring you through. You'll have peace in your heart. You see, this is what God says. He'll give you peace. Peace with Him. That's the first thing, and it's a great thing to have peace with God. To go sleep at night and say, oh, I don't know what's going to happen if I die. Where am I going to wake up? No, I know. I know. Give my life to Him. I'm going to wake up in His presence because I'm at peace with Him. But not only does He do that, He also gives us His peace. He says, the peace of God I give to you and it passes of all understanding. Maybe you're here today and you did some time ago commit your life to Jesus, but you've not repented. You're still doing the same things. 
And then you use an excuse, I'm weak. Or, I don't know if I can do it. He'll help you. And some things He's going to just deliver you. But we have to do something. We can't just say, God, come and do it all. We have to repent. God, I'm sorry. Godly sorrow. God, I'm sorry. My behavior. Things I've done to other people, I'm sorry. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and salvation. Let me close with this. God is long-suffering. And He would not that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. If a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All the old things pass away and everything becomes new.